tell you something. A speech right now. You either you work hard for it or you don't work hard for it. Well, me and my brother, we work hard for our stuff. It don't come easy. In life, you have to work. Either you have to be the shark of the ocean or the fish of the ocean. And right now, we have to be the shark. Take over everything. Strength, no weakness. Power, the muscle. Have to have that mindset. So you're gonna come in here and dominate. And welcome back to All You Radio. I'm Johnny McKeon. With me in studio, Sasha Bloom, Wayne Thompson Jr., and our guest today, Paul Dwayne. Paul, how are you? Beautiful. How about yourself? I'm good, man. That's <laughs> Sasha. That fired me up, man. There you go. Like I got chills. My palms are sweating. Like right now, <laughs> your palms are always sweaty, man. Something about spaghetti. You sound like Eminem over there. Palms are sweating. <laughs> Dude, that fires me up, man. Where did you find that? How much did you pay that kid to say that? <laughs> right. That's all over, man. Is that on Fiverr? It was on uh, <laughs> World Star Hip Hop all yesterday. It was no. all over my Instagram, too. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. They should give it credit where credit's due. He's like, what, five? No, Six? 11, 10. He seems so young, man, to be able to have that wisdom. Yeah. It sounded crazy. like his dad or grandfather or preacher that he had memorized. But. Maybe. Well, the Jamaicans, yeah. man, that's a whole other breed. My mom, she grew up in Jamaica. Like, she... Oh, that's right. Yeah, she kept it different. Like, she kept it one... She she keeps it 100, like, for real. Like, she's never, she's never held back with me. She's always set the expectation. She told me, you know, when I was a kid, you can't be a black kid walking around these streets without ID. She took me aside. She trained me, like... She's 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 the hardest person I know. She that gets it different. Cool. I like the way you put that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. she's like yeah. Johnny of the Ocean. You be the shock of the Ocean, Johnny, or you be the shock of the Ocean, Johnny. But you don't walk around the streets, Johnny, like that. Well, it's funny as her accent comes in and out, like uh, because she was a nurse, so she had to learn to speak proper English to give orders and stuff. It only oh. comes out the most random times. She'll be like, "Put on Game of Thrones. I want to watch Game of Thrones." Oh, dude. So it's not just when she's mad at you. Yeah. No. No, okay. Like, Johnny, I'll beat your ass. <laughs> when your middle name comes out too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome, though, man. It, it, like, have you been to Jamaica too? No, not yet, man. I'm trying to get there, though. Dude, that'd be so cool. Yeah. Like, it's like a connection. I mean, be able to have the the cultural connection. I have actually on on my grandmother's side of the family have Jamaican cousins. Oh, really? I've never left America though. I've never been able to go over there and see them or anything. So. It's really? crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like black folks just related to everybody. <laughs> so yeah. You're just like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> All right, shut up, Wade. <laughs> no, I kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, um, my, it was definitely my mother who taught me how to be a man. Like definitely growing up. My, well, my father was around. He wasn't, I didn't go to him for those things. I went to him for more information or like help with my homework. But I never asked him like how to be a man. You know, my mother, she definitely, she's definitely made me who I am today. That uh, sounds odd to me. Why not? We you must have the strangest mommy issues. You think? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I definitely, because I don't know. I, I guess I'm a mama's boy. I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. What do you, why is that strange, Sasha? Because most men, you know, and who are fathers are the ones that kind of take control of, especially the firstborn boy. Yeah. Well. And, well, I my my mother definitely she's she's the person I would go to for all my emotional stuff, you know, and that's that's definitely where like I think more of being a man came in, 
You know, like she taught me how to deal with like, you know, like growing up, like being mixed was really difficult because like I went to white schools, but I was treated like I was black, even though I was half black, you know. So and where was that? Uh, this was out in California, out in Sacramento. Okay. Yeah. So it was, it was really difficult for me to kind of wrap my head around. The world. And my dad, he was white. So he never really fully understood you know, the racial side of things, which is something that I had to deal with he since day one. He must have, though, if he was married and dating a black woman in the 70s, 80s. Not, he never really saw it that way. Like, yeah, he I have to say the same for my mom, too. Oh, for real? Yeah. Yeah? yeah Mixed on your side? Yep. What, my mom's white, my dad's black. Okay. So, yeah, it was the same kind of experience as yeah. Johnny had and stuff, but I don't think my mom really I'm mixed, too. Yeah. <laughs> white, white and whiter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, one, one set of my ancestors are from Denmark and the others are from uh, Germany. You know, real, real diverse. Yeah. <laughs> so who had a bigger cool. influence on you, your mother or your father? Well, I would tell you my mom, but I swear, with every passing year, I find myself becoming my dad. Really? Yeah, every... every <laughs> Just the other day, I was doing something. I realized, good lord, I'm my dad. <laughs> just weird things. You get you know? more conservative as the older you get. But just Have these weird habits. Just yeah. weird habits. Like you know, growing up, my my dad was a woodworker, and he had a wood shop in the basement. And in the basement, he not only had his tools, but he would keep, you know, his stash of soda and some cookies. And uh, it was like it was his man cave. It really was. And I find myself uh, instinctually just building a similar sort of retreat in the basement of whatever dwelling I'm in at any point in my life. You know, <laughs> I've done it several times and, and I do the same thing. I'll, I'll make a little stash of, of goodies that no one knows about, you know, because it's dad time, you know, I kind of go down there and like work on my workshop and, and, uh, you know, instead of fooling around with wood tools, you know, I butcher computers and, and it's the same thing though, you yeah. know, and, and, and just little idiosyncrasies. He'd always have a, you know, a, a space heater going to keep his butt warm. You know, I do the same thing all winter long. <laughs> same thing. Is, is, is that because of the skirt? Like, does your legs? Go? <laughs> well, you know, my dad wore a skirt too. No, he really does. <laughs> so, so tell me about that. Tell me about the skirt. Well, yeah. these are shorts, uh, and I, I, I really that's I almost not, I don't do skirts uh, because I don't sit very modestly. Oh, I made the, <laughs> so true story. True story. Okay. <laughs> So one time I, uh, I I had a show I was doing I have a live stage show that I do sometimes it's like a, a comedy talk show type thing and I uh, had picked up um, a, a new outfit that actually did have a skirt it, well did, should we describe this yes please. okay all right this this has no context whatsoever so yeah I, I I when I when I go on you know first dates. You know, when it's important to make a good first impression, you know, funerals, things like that, I'll, I'll show up in a, a shirt and tie, some shorts, nylons, and heels. And uh, that's kind of my signature look. So, How, how long have you been doing that? Uh, a couple of years, publicly. Now, yeah, is, that, yeah. is that like a comfort thing? Or I imagine it's very comfortable. It, oh, it totally is. Depending on the heels. <laughs> Ladies, I feel your pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't. And here, <laughs> you just lost your ability to complain to me about your shoes, girls. <laughs> so here's the thing. Here's the thing. Speaking of that, so um, if if I can walk better in heels than the girl can, it's a deal breaker. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like she, back she's gotta in the. Out She's got to outwalk me. Like in the 70s, though, dudes used to wear heels a lot. For sure. Like the platforms. Well, here's the thing about heels. Heels were originally a masculine thing. They were developed by, well, a couple, a couple of interesting things. Um, heels were originally for the purpose of standing on 
in the stirrups of your horse so that you could um, be anchored into the stirrups better and shoot your enemy with a little bit more precision while you're hauling ass on a horse. Wow. So that, that's one part of the, uh, the origin of the high heel. It was very utilitarian, which is why cowboy boots still have a heel. Right, yes, yeah. but, but better footing, right? Right, yeah. but uh, the uh, another aspect of high heels is, uh, I, and I forget when. I think this was in the 1500s. Um, heels were worn by aristocratic males as a way to show people. It was a, a class symbol. It was a way to show so people so they could be taller and not not no? taller. It was to say, "I'm so rich, I don't have to work, and I'm going to wear these very impractical shoes to make sure you understand that." Oh, wow. yeah. Huh. Like and, and then women, women stole high heels. They co-opted that style from men. And so this has been kind of a class gender battle. It's been happening for a long time. Another interesting thing along those same lines, uh, the, the necktie. So back in that same time period, shirts, dress shirts would button up in the back. And so to button them up, you would need a servant to do them up for you, to help you dress. And so, of course, very rich people would have these. So somebody in the uh, lower middle class got this idea, kind of a life hack one day, like, hey, I'm sick of being thought of as poor. You know, I want some opportunities too. So I'm going to develop this uh, new fashion of the necktie. And the necktie covers the buttons on the front of your shirt so no one can tell where your buttons are. So nobody can tell how rich or poor you are. No way. So it's interesting that the necktie is now seen as generally worn in situations of kind of uh, upper class situations, but it was originally developed to level the playing field. No way. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. I just got educated here. See, I've worn a tie once in my life, and it was a (laughs) button on tie. (laughs) Button on. (laughs) Further leveling the playing field. I've never seen you with a tie. That would be interesting. I've turned down lucrative jobs because I've had to wear a tie and suit. Like I won't wear, I'll wear a collared shirt, but it's not getting tucked I in. I think you're wearing a, a lanyard right now with a, a, a like a car yeah. card key. I think that's basically your necktie, bro. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am sophisticated. Yeah, you are. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a different pattern. But yeah. that does, the comfort level, like you're not uh, buttoned up all the way to no. the top. It's kind of no. loose. Yeah. So yeah. it's strict. Like where does the pantyhose and shoes and tie come into your gimmick? Well, it's a couple of things. Number one, it's laundry day. Uh, <laughs> totally out of clean pants. That's all I had. Mm. Right. No, it's a, it's a symbol in a sense. There, there are a couple of layers to this. Yeah. Number one, in no particular order, um, it symbolizes my worldview. Like one of the things I'm here to do on Spaceship Planet Earth is to challenge the status quo, to challenge the binary black and white thinking of the world. I mean, that's really what's holding the human race hostage right now. Our political ridiculousness right now is a screaming example of this. I mean, the us versus them. And you can see how right now people are caught in this us versus us versus them mentality. And nobody's really all that happy about one or the other. I mean, name somebody that says like, yeah, I think Hillary Clinton is the most amazing person on earth. Almost nobody will say that. It's rooted in, she's not Donald Trump and we must beat him. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. the same, same for the other side. Yeah. Okay, not many, not a lot of sane people are saying Trump is the most amazing human being ever to walk the earth, the most ethical man I've ever met, and he should be our leader. There, he's not Hillary, and we must beat her. It's it's a fear based thing, and so, you know, one of the things I love about dressing like this is it challenges that status quo. It's um, it challenges a lot of ideas of what does it even mean to be a man? What does gender mean? What does I'm not a gender warrior, by the way. Like I, I'm, I'm pretty traditional in my life. But uh, for other people, you know, when I walk into a room, I become a mirror for whatever 
baggage you've got about your own masculinity, your own femininity, your own gender roles, your own um, ideas about tradition and society, any of those things. And they all, and they come up. And uh, I, I love that. I, I love challenging that because I really think as, a, as, you know, here on Spaceship Planet Earth, it's time to ask some bigger questions. And some of the old wisdom needs to stay. Some of the old wisdom is old for a reason because it does serve humans well. Some of it's got to go. And, and I think it's really time to have those conversations. And so, you know, this is one of, and I, I believe the best way to get people thinking about things is not to debate with them, you know, but rather just show them a good time, make them laugh, make them go, what the fuck was that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, make them, make, give them something to go home and, and talk to their partner about and say, I saw the craziest shit today. I don't know what this means. Like what happens if you go to, you walk in the street in, you're walking down the street in Provo. Like, speaking about a place that's, right. yeah, a little, I mean, maybe it's just my opinion yeah. or a lot of Utah's yeah, opinions, yeah. but it's yeah. a, not a place that really thinks outside the of box. the box. Okay. Yeah. What happens in that, has that happened? And that old man with the mustache and the <laughs> fat belly and the Wranglers and cowboy boots, he's just looking at you. Sure. And you, you know don't what he put does? your head down, you just look him right back in the eye and say, what? He goes home and Googles me. Yeah. <laughs> that man don't know how to run Google. First of all. Well, I don't know. I'll tell you, though. I'll tell you. Um, an incredible number of people, the most common reaction I get when I go out like this is guys will come up to me and completely sincerely and be like, bro, where do you get your shoes? <laughs> where wow. do you get your shoes? I was thinking that too. <laughs> like, do you have to buy them in male sizes or females? Uh, like a female no, 15? No, like, what no. Is it? no. It, it's a, it's a, you figure out what your size is, but uh, you know, online here and there. You uh-huh. just you know, kind of know what you're looking for and keep your eyes out. Just like buy anything. You don't worry about queer bashing or you haven't been in those positions where young men <laughs> circle around you and are ready to whoop on you? No. 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 No, not at all. Because most human beings try to stay out of the spotlight. Sure. They're not going to create their identity to ruffle the norm. You don't have that issue. No. Well, look, I mean, let's be honest. I am trying to ruffle the norm. Yes. You know, and and I know my audience and I'm I'm situationally aware. Like there are certain places I just would not show up like this, you know? Yeah. Um, There... Yeah, for for instance, I wouldn't go to a wedding like this, you know, because it's her day, mm-hmm. and I'm I, you know, my job is just to be there to pay her some respect and not steal the, the spotlight away. And I know very well when I walk into a room, I, it tends to be spotlight grabbing, and sometimes that is appropriate, like when I'm doing my own show, when I'm out socializing, when it's a free for all, fine, you know. But but there are certain situations where that's just really not cool, you know, and and so. Yeah, definitely aware. You would meet the governor, though. You would interview a senator in your getup. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And that would definitely. be the def- that would be more of the point to do it with those type. Of oh, people, absolutely, right? yeah. yeah, yeah. In fact, I you know I have good relationships with a lot of uh, senators and and legislators up on the hill, and and they love that I do this. You know, um, not all of them, obviously, but uh, hey, Speaker Hughes, um, you're next on my list, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I know that man. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, you know, so so it's about challenging the status quo. It's um, I like the way it looks. I like the way it feels. Um, it's just it's congruent with who I am as a person. So, so there are layers to it. Safe yeah. to say, you're not happy with the community you live in today. Look, I have a weird. Well, we I, 
probably this probably goes for a lot of people. I have kind of a love hate relationship with the community I live in. Mm. Um, Me too. You know, I was born and raised here. I did the whole, you know, very storybook Mormon upbringing, you know, born and raised in a small town in Northern Utah, raised in the church, went on a mission, came home, married in the temple to my high school sweetheart, blah, 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 all, all of those things. Divorced seven years later. So damn boring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Marriage. I mean, they're just, it's just the way you'd expect it to go, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's Anyway, um, look, Utah is... There's been a point where I really thought about leaving, uh, th- thinking about pursuing my, my work other places. But, you know, Utah is a fascinating place. There are really awesome tensions that happen here um, between the predominant culture and the, the, the counterculture that it naturally creates. And I, I really like it. Um, I think Utah is on the up and up as well. I mean, we in the past five years, I think I've seen Salt Lake City grow up a lot. Yeah. And uh, we're quite a progressive city. Um, I don't always agree with progressive platforms, but I think it's an exciting place to be. Well, we have a lot of non-Utahns here, too. We do, and more with and more. a lot of money and a lot of influence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And more and more of them are coming. Um, I think that being here, you know, I kind of in a tongue-in-cheek way refer to myself as the cross-dressing Mormon anarchist. And, and um, I think there's some important stories to be told in the context of Mormonism. You know, and, and ultimately, it's not about Mormonism, but it, in just the same way, how many of you guys have seen my Big Fat Greek Wedding? I have movie. Seen, it, it came I've out seen, a long, long, time, a long ago. time ago. Long time ago. Long time. Okay. Yeah, a little bit of it. Point yeah. being, it's a movie about a, a Greek wedding. And how many of you are Greek Catholics? No, or, 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 neither am I. But how many of you enjoyed the movie and could yeah. get into it? For sure, we all could. Fiddler on the Roof, same thing. None of us are Jewish. I, I don't think. Excuse me. Oh, man, that, that was actually pinned by the bloodline in my heart. <laughs> the ginger, that was the, his dad, the <laughs> ginger Jew. <laughs> Look at you, and you're just a Mazel, mazel. That Jewy red hair of yours. <laughs> I love it. So, as you said, that was one of those things. As, as I said, that said none of us are Jewish. It's like I, everything slowed down, and I saw the words coming out of my mouth. I just wanted to reach out and grab them, but I, I couldn't. They they were being immortalized. We're all used to anti-Semitism in this room. Oh, so. We'll get to more of that in a minute. Okay. We'll talk current events, Obama and Israel in a few minutes. But uh, anyway, um, where are we? You, you were talking about Greek wedding. Greek wedding. Oh, yeah, yeah. Culture. So the Mormonism yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. So look, I, I think that we're in a place now where um, there are some important human stories that can be told in the context of Mormonism and in the struggle of being in it and being out of it and uh, from every direction. I, I, so I think it's a brilliant place to be in, especially for you know people like us that are in essentially the storytelling business. I I, I love it. And I hate it <laughs> so much, but I love it. <laughs> you know, I, I definitely agree with you, man. Like in the, being in Salt Lake, it's it, some people who say they're like, "Oh, I, I've thought about leaving and stuff." No, I think it's fantastic. You know, yeah, like to yeah. stay here because the city is changing. It's definitely changing. Right. We need people to continue to change the city. It's a it's a cosmopolitan, you right. know, place. Well, you think about here. Here's another thing. Think about why Salt Lake exists. Okay, Salt Lake exists because there were a group of people 169 years ago that said, hey, so um, marriage, this marriage thing, 
uh, government, we don't really like you telling us that marriage has to be between one man and one woman only. We think that's bullshit. You know, we, we want to do marriage in a really different way. Um, we want to have lots of wives and you won't let us. So we got, we're going to leave. And of course, of course you Mormon historians, I know it's a little more complex than that, but that was basically the story. Okay. I would say they were escaping genocide. Well, yeah, yeah, but that that was a big part of it though. You know, I mean, there there was a confluence of things. I mean, uh, Joseph Smith had the Nauvoo Expositor destroyed because they had been telling, printing papers about his polygamist activities. Mm. Okay. I mean, you cannot talk about Mormons getting out of town without polygamy being a massive part of the story. If it weren't for polygamy, (laughs) you know, those pesky Mormons never would have left Missouri. I don't know. Anyway. So essentially, they 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 left the country. See, Utah wasn't even a thing. This was Mexico. It back was a then. territory. It was Mexico. Yeah. It wasn't even a, a U.S. territory yet. It was Mexico, and uh, it was soon to become a, a U.S. territory because the Mexican American War was going was was happening. So the Mormons get out of town. They come out here. They squat a piece of land. They steal some land from Mexico and set up camp so that they can do marriage the way they want to. You know, and look, this is not about your opinion about polygamy, but that's pretty badass. You know, to say, we're so into doing marriage differently, we're leaving. We're leaving their country. You know, in, in the modern elections, there are so many people saying, oh, if Trump wins, if Obama wins, if so-and-so wins, I'm moving to Canada. Well, guess what? <laughs> the Mormons were the first to actually do it. You know? Okay? <laughs> they moved to Mexico. They did it. And, 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 and I love that. I think it's so badass. And so they come out here and they set up this cool city that's organized in a really interesting way that, like, other cities should take note of. Right. Uh, And so that's the whole reason we're here. I think Salt Lake City is the most libertarian city in America because of our roots, because of our culture. It's I think it's a radically in it's it's origin story is rooted in this very raw, rugged um, mix of collectivism and individualism at the same time. I'm I'm super fascinated by it. Modern Mormonism is nothing more than an aesthetic. Okay, Mm. it's not a philosophy anymore. It's an aesthetic. But I think the old school Mormonism is badass. And I think uh, I think we would do well, whether you're in or out of the church to recognize that's the roots of the city and some take take some pride in that and take some cues from it, too. You know, so how does it become fake then? How did this this religion of upstart Mm. young men and women who are survivors fighting against one of the most tyrannical governments in the world? Mm -hmm then become a tyrannical dictatorship. Right. Um, have any, any of you have ever read the Tao Te Ching? Yeah. Okay, so one, one of my favorite verses in the Tao Te Ching, well, the Tao Te Ching talks about this a lot. The Tao, so for those of you that haven't read the Tao Te Ching, it's a book of uh, Chinese scripture written supposedly about 2,500 years ago by a man supposedly named Lao Tzu that may or may not have lived and no one really cares because the wisdom holds water, right? So the uh, Tao, basically, the Tao Te Ching basically means the, the book of, of the way or the, you know, the, the Tao means like the way, the enlightened way. There's not a good word for it in English, but that's kind of what it means. So the Tao that can be named is not the true Tao. And, and this is something it talks about a lot. And there are a lot of spiritual traditions that talk about, um, higher wisdom, um, you know, not being able to be encapsulated in words. Yeah, nothingness within end and all that kind of mm-hmm, stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there are places in in Christian scripture and in the Bible, I think mostly in the Book of Mormon, where it talks about how um, you know, when, when Christ came and when angels came, they ministered to people and said things that cannot be written. And I don't think it's because it was secret. I think it's because there comes a point when um, in spirituality, when those realizations are things that are so 
incredibly personal. They, you, trying to explain it is to dumb it down a lot. You know, to take your inner knowledge or your inner knowledge or your inner knowledge and to try and try and convey it to me. You're going to have to. Uh, there's going to be something lost in the translation, inevitably. You know. And so how does, how does something that's so amazing like old school Mormonism become what it is today? By the institutionalization of spirituality. I think it was uh, well-intentioned, you know, um, but ultimately I don't think that ever ends well. I, I you know, I, I think that um, Mormonism today would do well to look at things like the Unitarian Universalists that are more focused on saying, we're going to create a community for truth seekers and come here with whatever knowledge you have, but we're we're gonna we're gonna build a building. We're gonna hold. We're gonna make a community gathering center. We're gonna support you in your journey. You know, but we're not really gonna tell you what to believe. And and I think there's uh, they would do well to look at that. I think that's the inevitable future of organized religion. It's tough to do if you're trying to build empires, though. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, you have to predicate a, a truth to them mm-hmm. so that they will tithe and give back and yeah, yeah, worship definitely. It's, um, I, I think that Mormonism, the other thing about why it changed into what it changed into is, you know, you've got to look at, um, Joseph Smith was teaching one thing and then he dies and then you have basically a competition for his power, for his authority over the people. And Brigham Young is the one that staged the most successful coup. And this became the church of Brigham Young of Latter-day Saints. Let's be honest. It really is. That's that's what there's something about his, uh, Joseph Smith's son. People thought yeah. he should follow a bloodline or mm-hmm, something. Like mm-hmm. that. And so there's a group that followed that too. And it was a much smaller group, but Brigham Young that, you know, historians call him the Moses of the American West. I think that's a brilliant description because he was a, a dynamic, passionate leader. And, um, it's interesting to look at today to see the power of dynamic, passionate leaders. They don't need to be right all the time to gather a huge following <clears throat> Donald Trump. <laughs> you know, and seriously, <laughs> And I really think of Brigham Young was probably somebody that was a Donald Trump-like person. And you read Brigham Young, and he was bombastic and crazy, and he said things that were completely ridiculous, like, we all know that there are men on the moon, and we all know that there are men on the sun, and things like that that were just, I mean, the sun thing, not, but we all know there are actually people that live inside the moon. That's another thing. You know, he got it right sometimes. But, um, you know, so I think that what we're looking at is – Brigham Young, and then the next phase of how it became what it became today is because of the polygamy thing, the federal government ultimately did come in and shut everything down. They seized all the church's property, including the temple they were building, and the church then had to beg the federal government to give it back and agree to their terms. And so this is where the church stopped being, the church became something else. It became the corporation of the president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's not... um, you know, like a, it's not the church of Christ anymore. In fact, what Joseph Smith set up was the church of Jesus Christ. It wasn't this is it was a different organization. And so what we, uh, people today, the church today is a business. It's a big corporation and it has, uh, it's run like a business. And so therefore some of those, those necessities of running a big corporation have trickled down into the, um, spiritual ideas of the people. And that bending to authority bothers you? It bothers you that the church is passive, passive in, in what toward way? their, Brigham Young's constitution and Joseph Smith's constitution and that that old school Mormonism that you were talking about earlier. Right. You know, I'm not so bothered 
uh, what the um, top of the church is saying, mm-hmm. because to their credit, the upper leadership of the church have been releasing these white papers recently that have come out and said, yeah, so uh, the Pearl of Great Price, Joseph Smith basically made that up. <laughs> okay, let's drive on now. All right. Yeah, well, Brigham Young, he was a racist. He Black side people too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He, they, they came out and said <laughs> mm-hmm. Brigham Young was a racist, and that was just what everybody was back then. So cut him some slack. He was just like the other racists, you know? Wow. They did. But so my fault, I don't really, look, I'm not going to bash the upper leadership of the church anymore. I'm not. Like, they got to do it. They got to do whatever. Fine, fine, fine. I'm talking to you that just got home from church today. I'm saying, like, like, do your own. Do what all the old prophets did. Go by yourself. Do what Muhammad did. Do what Jesus did. Do what the Buddha did. Do what all of them did. Go by yourself physically and spiritually detach yourself from all others go into the wilderness go into your mountain go in your cave sit under a tree go to your place and go by yourself to see to find god by yourself and 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 so i mean and ultimately that is the message of mormonism that's what joseph smith did he went into a he, you know the story is he goes into the woods to find god and he did and he got uh, had a personal experience with the divine and so to me like being a mormon look i some people get mad. They, they think I'm making fun of Mormonism by calling myself the cross-dressing Mormon anarchist. I'm actually just trying to ru- I'm just trying to rock the boat enough to get people to realize, hey man, being a Mormon means go into the woods by yourself. Get your own answer. Do what all the old prophets did that you supposedly are so excited about, you know, and then let it be your answer. Don't depend on other people to tell you what your spirituality is, you know? What if they're comfortable with a preacher or a quote-unquote prophet mm-hmm. dictating their life? Then that's where you're at. Mm. Hope it works out for you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but you <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here. I'm just for conversation purposes. Sure. I mean, because that, that does happen to an extent. Yeah, you see yeah. that a lot in Utah. There Complacency. are people that just don't, oh, yeah. they don't open their mind up and ask the questions right. themselves. So they're just like, well, my mom said to do it and right. she's been doing it right. and her parents told her to do it and this and this yeah. and this. And I'm not going to ask any questions. I'm right. just going to do. Right. Is that fear or ignorance? What, do you, what is that pressure, like <clears throat> cultural pressure? I, th- I think it's a couple things. Uh, yes to all those things. Um, since, since we're, I mean, do guys want to go deep? Young man. All right. All right. So I, all right, here we go. Put on your waiters. All right. It's going to get deep in here. So I, I tend to think that there's some evidence that points towards reincarnation being the case. Yeah. Um, I, my personal belief is let's take all the ideas that Mormonism had of the purpose of being on, that we are spirit beings having physical experiences, you know, and, and our purpose here is to learn and our bodies are tools to help us learn things and they're vehicles. There are, there are, are spacesuits, you know, as we cruise around on this little rock cruising through space. And um, so we take the idea that our purpose here is to learn, to become more like our creator. And, um, but when you plug in, See, here's, here's one thing I could never get into with Mormonism. So supposedly we have this God that dwells in, in eternity, literally has all the time in the world, literally like n- time's not even a thing. And this God says, I love you so much 
that I'm going to stick you on this rock, give you a body, roll the dice on how that's going to turn out, and um, you get oh, 80, between 60 and 85 laps around the sun, only about 30 of which are useful because the first first 20 are just it's so stupid you know (laughs) and and chances are the last 20 are going to be as stupid okay you're going to be in diapers for the front 20 and the back 20 all right you're going to be needing to be fed and drooling all the time and not remember your name okay and uh so all that stuff in the middle all of eternity depends on that good luck good luck (laughs) have fun with that yeah, about uh, you got about 20, 20, 30 uh, useful laps. 20 or 30? Are you shitting me? <laughs> 20, that's nothing. Like, we couldn't go to lunch right now for 30 bucks, you know? <laughs> See, that's not 30 of anything is, not, is nothing. So I think that sounds like a, if that is the nature of God, God's a dick. <laughs> And I think we need to consider the possibility that maybe God hates us. Maybe Tyler Durden and Fight Club was right. Maybe we are the unwanted stepchildren of the universe, you know, which reminds me while we have our Mormon hats on, you know know how uh, a a lot of people get really upset when you start talking about heavenly mother. Like if we have a father in heaven, well, where's, where's mother in heaven? And Mormons huh. are one of the few groups that are like, oh, we have one. We have a Heavenly Mother, but we can't talk about her. <laughs> really? Don't talk about her. She's too sacred. Heavenly Father doesn't want us violating her name. I have this other theory. God's divorced. <laughs> and uh, it's a court order. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, he, he, he's not allowed to talk about her to us. <laughs> it's, it's like a, a, like a cosmic restraining order. I think, I think that's all it is. I think, uh, I think, I think Fight Club kind of got it right. Uh, so if sense. you think but God hates us so much, why do you spend so much time studying the concept of God? I wouldn't call this studying. Hmm. I'm just talking shit. <laughs> <laughs> but so let's say but here's the thing i digress okay (laughs) i think that if you take this idea of what mormons say the plan of salvation is and our whole point of being on earth and then you plug reincarnation into it and you come up with this model of the cosmos that says we have this loving creator um that says hey you know you want to become more like me cool put on this uh meat and bone spacesuit. go down there, learn some things. It, it'll expire after a while. It's only good for about 80 laps. So, um, you know, so it's, uh, it's the best I could do. And, um, but then when you're done, come back, we'll review your progress, take some notes, go back down, try it again, do it as many times as you need until you've got this earth thing mastered, you know, all of a sudden this starts looking like a really wise teacher and a God that actually does love us. Like that, that's where I start saying like when I start considering reincarnation. So the really long ass answer to your question (laughs) (laughs) about people who are just comfortable um, with just going along with what mom and dad taught them and whatever they learn at church. I think that um, we all are in different points in our spiritual evolution. Some of us have been here maybe a dozen times. Some of us maybe 400 times. Some of us maybe twice. You know, I'm probably like uh, my third time. Let's be honest. <laughs> and and um, I think that this is a different point along the way. Um, there, there comes a point where you, you know, I think the organized religion, and I say this with all due respect, this is absolutely respectful. It is like training wheels. 
you know, I think they're come just like learning to ride a bike. There's a, there's a time when you need a couple of extra wheels to keep you up while you learn how the bike works and you get the feel of balance and you learn to trust your balance. And I think there comes a point in your spiritual growth when you don't need the training wheels anymore and you can let them go. And, and you, you notice like a lot of kids, if you've ever taught a kid to ride a bike, you start loosening up the training wheels, you start raising them up. So they're still on there. Like, don't worry, kid, the wheels are still on there. You know, yeah, you're going to be fine. But you start noticing, you start raising them an inch, you know, every couple of days. After a while, those training wheels aren't even touching the ground. You can just take them off. When I was a young boy, my grandfather was an Orthodox Jew. And very no way, yeah, right. <laughs> Shit. Shit. <laughs> he was also a socialist and a communist. I, and see. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. called yeah. that out, <laughs> but oh, he I feel was, terrible now. He was uh, so you're right. <laughs> he had a major influence with the Chabad movement, the Luvovich movement yeah. in America. So our Friday and Saturdays were commonly filled with rabbis in our home oh. or us going to. The rabbi's house was that uh, like a more orthodox or more oh, completely orthodox okay. completely like women on one side men on the other side gotcha. you put a sheet over your wife when you make love to her that whole mm-hmm, thing mm-hmm. right yeah that's really uh, you should try it sometime it's pretty hot yeah. <laughs> 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 I want to say something but I'm not, yeah. I'm yeah, not gonna I've say got, I've got, I've old got wisdom some jokes in my head old too, wisdom man. my friend <laughs> old <laughs> wisdom <laughs> Sorry. (laughs) And I always found rabbis to be some of the most humble and brilliant human beings I've ever met. I found really good preachers and pastors as some of the most brilliant, most friendly human beings I've ever met. Yeah. And so if they're on this celestial game of trying to improve themselves over and over, why would these men and sometimes women become hierarchies of a church or a synagogue mm-hmm. or a Chabad? Because mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense to me on the scale that you're talking about. Great question. I think there, there are a couple of ways people arrive in the ministry. One is, you know, some people aspire to it for reasons that might be a little uh, ego driven, you know, to um, assert their self-importance in the world. Like radio to, to, hosts, yes. Ex- just like <laughs> us, right? How narcissistic is this, anyway? You know, like, it's, yeah, same thing. See, really, I'm just projecting my own shit onto them. That's all this is. Uh, in, in Buddhism, there's this idea of the bodhisattva. Are, are you familiar with that? A little bit. Okay, so th- I, I discovered this a couple of years ago, and I, I, I find it really inspiring. In, in Buddhism, there's this idea that when spiritual, when when in your spiritual progress or in a person's spiritual progress, after how many incarnations, whatever, they've essentially mastered the lessons of mortality and they have the opportunity to then enter into a covenant or an agreement of sorts to return back to earth and work for the spiritual betterment of their fellow man until everyone has achieved enlightenment. Mm. And that can happen within your lifetime. It can happen between lifetimes. But it's the idea that um, some people do arrive at this place where they have just a deep love of, of humanity. And their deepest desire really is to lift people up and to help people along the way. And, and, and here's the thing. This, I would compare this to maybe um, deciding to become like a third grade teacher rather than a university professor. Look, education is important at every, every stage. 
And so I, I think that there are a lot of compassionate souls out there who understand this and who understand that that working within the context of organized religion is is a valuable stage in human evolution. It is a stage, you know. And and, and I um, I like to think that some of these people are there to pick you know pick people up, help them, pass them along. And and so that's that's a pretty noble view of 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 clergy. Yeah, no, and it's like, why do these men believe the caste system that they've involved themselves? Why can't they just open up a shack on the side of State Street and preach from their hearts and preach from earthly laws instead of a fabricated machine that they've bought into? It's something I've never personally understood. It's like, Rabbi, why why are you continually going to tell me to pray that God destroys Palestinians, mm, like because mm-hmm, that doesn't mm-hmm. seem like something that God would want, right? Yeah. So uh, that that rabbi definitely doesn't fall into the category of what we were just talking about. That's not a bodhisattva. But it yeah, everything else does, you know. But it's yeah. like if your home, see, America's been a lucky country that we've yeah. never been invaded. Yeah. If you get bombs and missiles in this town and you get suicide vests going off every other day, right? I think that. Most people in this town would be say, God, help me defend my land, my people, my women, my children, right. and destroy our enemy. Absolutely. I mean, it's in the Book of Mormon, it's Absolutely. in the New Testament, it's in the the mm-hmm. Jewish Testament mm-hmm. of God protecting us from the northerners and the evil. Yeah. Mm. I, I, I wish, man, I wish people would take that point of view as they consider what's going on in the Middle East. I think it is vital that, that, that we do that and that we understand this is... I, that, that is the fu- the nature of what's happening in the Middle East. It's not a good versus evil thing necessarily. It's just two group of people with very different narratives about the purpose of this plot of dirt. You know, well, <laughs> that mm-hmm. dirt is the most expensive real estate on this planet, right? And if you are religious <laughs> and the shittiest, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, there's look, some hot girls born in that look, part of the world. I, man. I, look, I love. <laughs> I love me some Middle Easterners too. I love the dark, mysterious. Oh my God, all day long. But isn't it isn't it funny that the Holy Land isn't like the Bahamas or something? Some places actually nice. Oh yeah, like, like Hawaii. Hawaii. It's worth fighting over. Yeah, but they're just fighting over the shitty little corner of the Middle Eastern desert that's dry and can't grow anything. Like the largest vortex in the world, you right? Know, it's depending on the spin. Yeah, but to go back to the point of that rabbi who thinks Palestine should die, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure that in the way that we've created our languages and our world that it's not a good and evil in that situation. And I'm not sure it's not different in Salt Lake City where we have good and evil. You know, a, a black person is going to see a pl- white police officer as an evil man. Yeah. That white police officer is going to see that gangbanger as an evil person. Yeah. And we've created all these lines mm-hmm. of you're this or you're that. Yep. There's no in between. If you're gay, you're going to hell. If you're black, well, you're probably going to hell. But because we have to (laughs) let you live and we can't enslave you, you're probably not going to go to hell. But God's really going to send you to hell. And here you are. I'm going to wear a skirt. I'm going to wear stiletto heels. Uh And I'm going to put it all up in your face. And there's nothing you can do because you're not going to swing on me because, you know, what? I got big shoulders, too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a neat thing that you're doing. Thanks. It's nice. kind of cool to yeah you, you were able to be like I don't care what you think yeah like do, do you care what people, people think look 
insofar as I need to get uh, advertising on my podcast to make money, <laughs> of course I care what people think. <laughs> yeah. Look, I have to make money too. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I totally care what people think. <laughs> but I totally don't give a shit what people think either. You know, So it's both. You know, and, and I think that's one of the things that um, I hope we can come to terms with as people is that we the question doesn't need to be, do you, you care or do you not care what people think? It's yes to both and they can coexist. You know, we can have layers of awareness at the same time, you know. So tell me about this radio show, the Internet radio stuff you're yeah, doing, because yeah. I'm I'd like to learn. I'd like to yeah, tell in. us everything you got. All, all, all the show things. All the show things. Well, this all started um, back when I was a mailman. I used to be a letter carrier here in Salt Lake. And uh, this is is when I first discovered, well, actually, I had a college professor that introduced me to libertarianism. And I I didn't run with it at the time. I was just like, oh, libertarians, they're uh, some weirdos that have some interesting ideas. All right, cool. Still Republican, still Mormon. Thanks, Professor. Good. Right. <laughs> Duly noted. Right. Um, but then in 2008, I had um, a lot of time on my hands because I'm walking the streets of Salt Lake for 12 hours a day, putting pizza coupons in in people's mailboxes. Right. <laughs> and uh, a lot of time to kill. And so I started listening. A friend turned me on to a podcast called School Sucks Podcast. <laughs> and uh, it's basically this guy talking about um, the virtue of education and how the public school system doesn't really serve that virtue very well, you know. And, and it was a it was a libertarian mindset. And I started, and then Ron Paul was running for president. I became acquainted with what he was doing. I was massively inspired by the libertarian movement, and I realized, oh my gosh, I'm I'm libertarian, and and my my thoughts are. Or that, you know, I don't, I don't like labels per se, but that's, I swim alongside the libertarian mindset for the most part, which is, um, that it is, it it comes down to two things. Don't hit people and don't take their stuff. That's what it means to be a libertarian. You know, it means that you and I should be free to do whatever we want. So long as we're not treading on one another. So being a libertarian a lot of people think, oh, you libertarians are just basically anarchists. You just want to do whatever you want to do, blah, blah, blah. And I say, yeah, I totally do. However, uh, so do you. Tell me you don't. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah, and, I want to be restricted. I totally love being yeah, yeah. restricked. Time me up. I think that's a big reason why people put themselves in a position of worshiping a god and yeah. getting into religion is to restrain themselves. because. People have been raised to think they need to be restrained. Religion, I think that for religion to sustain itself, look, for a church to pay its electric bill, it needs you in there once a week paying tithing. Mm. And to do that, it needs to, it has had to create a problem and then sell you the solution. That's the business model of religion. This is not, I'm not saying it's true or not true. I'm not saying God is or isn't real. I'm just saying that is how a church works. It's good marketing in general. It totally is. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's how every MLM works. Like, oh, you need, uh, you need our special juice because, you know, your such and such levels in your body aren't up, but our special blah, blah, blah juice will cure that. And it might cure cancer. <laughs> you know, so here, buy our, you know, it's going to be $400 a month auto ship. It's going to be awesome. Hey, in five years, you're going to be able to retire. And I, I digress. And that's I a whole issue. need your 14-year-old daughter. Yeah. <laughs> so. But, okay, so let's rewind. Let's rewind. So the origin of the show, um, I became really fascinated with libertarian thought. 
Mm. One other thought about libertarianism, because I, I, look, I'm unabashedly selling libertarianism right now because I think it's really important. In Which our, it's our, doing good. It's I mean, doing so good right now. Too. Liber- Here's the thing about libertarianism. Where's my pitch for the it? nature <laughs> to be a good libertarian requires a great deal of empathy and consideration for your neighbor. Because if I'm just going to go nuts and do whatever the hell I want in my house and in my yard, that's great and everything. But as soon as it infringes on your yard, my next door neighbor, I got to stop, you know, and that is the essence of libertarian thought is to be conscientious of where the boundaries of your freedom are, you know, and where they run into the the boundaries of your neighbor's freedom. You have to do that. So So how involved in the party are you? uh, Pretty involved. Mm. Um, I yeah, and I'll get to that in a second. Yeah. That kind of leads up to it. But so the reason the whole show exists is back then, you know, I, I saw the Ron Paul campaign happening. I saw the mainstream media just completely snubbing him and not giving him the time of day. And I met so many people that say, yeah, I, you know, I would vote for Ron Paul, but he won't win. So I'm not going to, you know, and, and, and if everybody that said that would have voted for Ron Paul, you know, he would have been the most recently assassinated president of the United States. You know, yeah. he, he, we would have had a president Ron Paul and he'd be dead now uh, because he wanted to do the same thing that got JFK killed. Might also note that, um, that, uh, Gary Johnson may also get himself shot if he gets elected. Yeah. And because Mitt Romney's apparently supposedly supposed to be talking about him. Too. And we'll, we'll get to, we'll get to Johnson yeah. in a second here. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll feel the Johnson here in a minute. So <laughs> yeah, we will. We will. It's radio. So, so, we can, so you guys can't see. You know, <laughs> yeah, she's ready, me, man. Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> why, do you guys, why do you guys think I wore a skirt? <laughs> anyway, so I became determined at this point. All, the only thing I did creatively was photography, which I still do. But uh, I became determined to get involved in the media somehow, some way. And I was going to put the sex back in libertarianism because libertarians are fucking horrible at sharing their message with people. They're the worst. <laughs> they have the most beautiful message, and I think the message that the human race needs right now and really wants, because like I said, everybody wants to be free. Everybody does. But no one knows how to pull it off yet. Libertarian thought, I think, is points us there and has a framework for what that looks like that no one else has, and so I'm really passionate about it helping advance that. Um, and so I became determined to somehow get involved during the same time. I started listening to a lot of comedy, a lot of podcasts, got turned on to guys like Mark Marin, Adam Carolla, uh, Joe Rogan, some of the great, great podcasters and just love their work. And you can't listen to your, to people like that for too long without, uh, and you can't idolize people for too long without eventually thinking, maybe oh, I got to try this, you know? So I got this crazy idea to try stand up comedy. And it was my deep, dark secret. I didn't tell anybody, you know, because I'm like, I'm not funny. I'm not. Like, I'm, not I'm, I'm so not funny. I'm not telling anyone. I'd go by myself. I'd sneak out at night and go to the comedy clubs and sit in the back and just like watch how it all happens, you know, watch open mic nights, take some notes. And after a while of doing that, I, I decided, okay, I have to try this. And so I wrote a few jokes and went up there and sucked, you know, mm-hmm. and, and um, it just kept doing it, though, because I'll, I'll tell you. When you get up on stage and you make a group of people laugh, it's like getting your dick sucked by 30 people at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. Yeah. <laughs> he does on the daily. <laughs> You're in that bed sheet maneuver. <laughs> and he's going to need a big bed sheet. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it, it, it is the most, it, it's incredible. It, it, and <laughs> it's, and I, it, it's really addicting. And it, you know, it's this, it's like being in a relationship with a really abusive woman. 
Okay. Yeah, I know that feeling too. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> when, when it's good, it is so amazing. And it, it inspires you to put up with all the other times you just want to step in front of a train. What do you be- mean be- you're not funny, dude? <laughs> because, <laughs> because, dude. <laughs> all your analogies are like cracking me up. Wayne is dying. So, <laughs> the worst thing in the world, I got it, like one of the worst feelings in the world. Here's the thing about laughter laughter is a, a human thing we can't control. You know, like you cannot control when you laugh and um, especially, you know, those la- those laughs that come out in really bad times, like at your grandma's funeral, things like that. You know, you can't control that. And um, it, it says something very, very deep and personal about who you are. And so as a comedian, you have this idea, this very high minded idea to tap into people's laughter. And when you get up on stage and you tell a joke, you're it's like getting totally naked and saying, all right, you guys, I think this is funny. Like, look at my soul for a minute. And then when it's just crickets, it's like it's like being on that date with a woman of your dreams and you drop trout and she just looks at you and is like, oh. Yeah, I get that too. <laughs> I mean, not that that's ever happened. You know, I mean, that's what my friend, my friend told me it's like that. Okay, you know? Like, I, <laughs> so, but imagine that. So it's also really difficult. That being said, started doing comedy, having some fun with it, good times. And then um, I got this idea to, uh, you know, I grew up watching talk shows, watching Johnny. I mean, I'm going to date myself here. I remember watching um, Johnny Carson hand off the show to Jay Leno, mm. you know, and, and I loved it when Jay would substitute for Johnny. I loved Johnny, but I liked Jay a lot too. And I remember Conan in his first years, when it was his first few episodes. He was so weird and awkward up there. And I remember watching Conan going, that guy's fucking strange. <laughs> and I think he's going to be huge. That's what I, I love about him. I man. like him. Yeah. I like him. He's weird, and that's going to work. you know. And, and um, so anyway, I got this idea years ago, a few years ago, to, to create this basically a late-night talk show live on stage that would incorporate music and comedy and interviews, but a, a higher purpose – of, of elevating the social conversation without being too heady about it, hopefully just trying to have some fun, you know, mm. and because I think the best way to, to get people to consider a new idea is to show them a good time, you know, make them laugh. And because when people are laughing, it's usually because they've recognized some truth. That's why when you tell a really bad joke, people laugh, and then they laugh a second time going, oh my God, I thought that was funny. What does that say about me? You know, <laughs> it's that, and that's a revelatory moment. And so I wanted to create this, these experiences, and I just thought, you know, maybe in five or seven years when I'm a better writer, when I'm more developed as a comedian, I'll, I'll, I'll put this together. And then, um, you know, uh, shortly thereafter, I was at a party, and um, some, some guys from a local club hit me up and said, hey, would you ever want to run an open mic night for us? And I was just drunk enough, to be honest. I said, <laughs> no, man, that sounds really boring. <laughs> However, I have this other idea, and uh, so I proceeded to tell them about this this late night talk show idea, and they said, "Well, that sounds awesome. Let's go talk to the club manager, Jeff Hacker from Metro Bar, is who we're talking about." So we went and talked to Jeff the next day. Jeff said, "That's amazing. I think you should do it. If anybody can do it, you can." And uh, his vote of confidence propelled me to then start making phone calls, and everybody started saying yes. And thirty three days later, I was on stage at Metro Bar with 150 people in the audience interviewing uh, former Mayor Rocky Anderson. I had the All-American Hitmen, who've now been on national television and are touring the world right now. Um, I had a great comedian. Had had this amazing uh, Jake Shannon, uh, hypnotist, was on the show. Had this amazing time. And it was this 
like all of a sudden all the doors just started opening and it was, it was, it was I just realized that this was a medium I, I really wanted to work in. And, and from there that grew into, um, doing more shows. Then that grew into, I was given a radio show, essentially Jake Shannon from K talk handed his show off to me. So I took that over and then doing radio, um, evolved into podcasting that content as well. And then that's grown into an internet radio syndication and that's where this is all gone. So, I mean, really the, the purpose of my show is to be kind of a, a liberty libertarian show and tell like mm. a liberty lifestyle show and, and to, you know, just uh, show people a good time. And, and um, because I really believe if you have an ideology, if you're a Mormon or a Catholic or a Jew or a Democrat or whatever it is, and you're so convinced that your way of life is superior, look, don't tell me about it. Just show me your life. You know, it, it's like, um, you know, if, if, if it's really working for you and if it's yielding the fruit you say it does, you don't have to lecture to me. Just invite me over for a for dinner, for a drink. Let's go out and I'll talk to you and I'll see it. And I'll, I'll ask you the questions, you know? And so I, I, I like to create a, a forum to show off these ideas, you know, more of a show don't tell sort of thing. You have an interest in politics as your career develops forward? Uh, well, um, yes and no, you know, I mean, um, are, are you asking if I'd ever want to be in public office? Well, I'm just, or, if you're a man who's creating a media zone to talk about ideas yeah. of, freeing the human being at yeah. some point talk becomes talk and talk becomes entertainment but yeah. in this country in this city if you really want to develop change mm-hmm. you almost have to go up and walk on the hill yeah i i know um i, I really don't want to mm. you know um it's not off the table uh, I mean, but let's be honest. How electable do you think I am? <laughs> Put on a pantsuit. You never know, man. Yeah, like, dude, you, you honestly, to me, I can see you on TV, though, man. Thanks. You do well, have like the, you have an anchor. He's like an entertainer. Anchorman side yeah. television Thanks. looks to you, though, well, man. Thanks. You do. Here, and here's here's the thing about being involved in politics. Look, the media is often called the fourth branch of government, and and I really believe in that. Um, Look at Rush Limbaugh, for instance. As much as I don't like Rush, uh, I used to, though. <laughs> I, I, I actually, <laughs> I used to. When I, I'm a reformed Rush Limbaugh fan. Yeah, but he's popping back. His studio's built off his name. Yeah. So, look, so when, when I, when I used to watch Rush when he had a TV show with my, with my mom. See, I watched and, Howard uh, Stern. <laughs> yeah, oh, Howard Stern. I've got a lot of love for that guy. I don't listen to his show. I'm not super. No, he in. sucks now. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not super into his aesthetic, but I respect the hell out of him. Yeah, mm-hmm. I absolutely do. Successfully, I successfully really... uh, defeated the Supreme Court. Oh man, twice. Yep. yeah, yeah. Wow. So much respect for Stern. Anyway, um, the, but the thing about uh, politics, Rush Limbaugh has become such a force that uh, the GOP, on some level, they. They almost need his sign-off on things before they can do anything. Because if Rush doesn't like it, a shitload of the the voters in the GOP are also not going to like it. Hmm. You know? I think that was the case. I'm not sure if it is now. Now, He might not even get re-signed by... Yeah, I mean, because of his his some of his comments he's made in the past, he's destroyed his own yeah. his own empire. Everything's changed, and it's, it yeah. might not yeah. even be the GOP. It's advertising agencies and companies that, that, that don't it. want to fucks with them. Exactly, it might not even be the people. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. He he's he's so that that's a more recent phenomenon. But but leading up to that, yeah. so some of his racist and sexist comments. Uh, yeah, he he was a force to be reckoned with politically. Absolutely, and 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 I'm fascinated with that, and I I often wonder. Um, I mean, if you're 
if I were to just call it out right now, I would really like to just continue building um, a media presence for that. Um, I, I want to be really careful to not. Um, and you can almost do it independently now where yeah. with Rush Limbaugh, you don't. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I don't know if and we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks here. And yeah, we have. Oh, you are is. We're not sure that there's going to be that Rush Limbaugh again or a Howard Stern sure. again or a Ryan Seacrest again. Yeah. Just because of the way that radio and television It's have like the evolved. death of the rock star. Mm, We're not going to see another so. U2. Yeah. yeah. Probably not. And 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 maybe that's okay. Yeah. We'll survive. Yeah. Something well, new. according to what they did with Apple, it's okay to everyone. <laughs> 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 they had to come up with an app there to get rid of their songs. <laughs> that was so weird. <laughs> People's reactions to that were so strange. It's a free song, people. But yeah, the, America felt violated, like ear raped by you two. I'm like, so really mad? <laughs> I was so mad. I did feel infringed. Really? Even though <laughs> on my other screen, I have torrents going everywhere. Like, <laughs> That's just it. Like, yeah. why? <laughs> yeah, the, 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 I think the largeness of you two set themselves up for that. I mean, if it was some little shitty band out of Madison, Wisconsin, that was like maybe gonna get a record deal soon, yeah. people would be like, "Oh, the Wankers? Oh, yeah, whatever." Yeah, all right. yeah, yeah had yeah, it been okay. White Stripes at yeah. that time, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, no one would have been offended by that. Just be like, oh, of course they have a free album in my store. No one can, they can't give them away. You know? Yeah. It's, <laughs> It just, it was so, it was wild though to yeah, see that if yeah. they gave out something free and it just caused this, this huge uproar, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, you, you didn't ask us first. We, we don't, we don't even have space in our phone as is. <laughs> yeah. You don't give us enough, enough give a gigabytes. Yeah. My 32 what? gigabyte iPhone can't deal with the 60 megabytes you just forced on me. <laughs> Whatever. People are such whiners. <laughs> it's so true. But um, I, I, going back though, like, how do you feel about um, Mitt Romney endorsing Gary Johnson? And do you think that it could cause <laughs> it's, it's, it's wild, right? It well, is so wild. I saw that on the uh, news, man. Okay, here's the thing. A year ago, Mitt Romney also endorsed Donald Trump. If you guys want to see something wacky. Go on YouTube and just Google Mitt Romney endorsing Donald Trump, and you'll find a video of him standing there with Donald being like, Donald Trump understands the economy. He understands how to create jobs. He understands our relationship with China. I think he'd be make a wonderful president. And then re- fast forward 12 months, he's up at the School of Business at the University of Utah having a national press conference saying basically the same speech but in reverse. He doesn't understand China. He doesn't understand how to create jobs. He'd be horrible for the economy. He's unfit to be president. And so that being said, look, Mitt, I don't know who you are, man. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, if you want to endorse Gary Johnson, that's cool. We, You know, the liberty movement can use all the help we can get. And I realize that there are a lot of sheep who will follow what you say. And, and to the extent that I truly believe that, look, I'm – Two things going on here. I absolutely am being a cheerleader for the Libertarian Party, but I also believe my bigger thing here is America needs a third party at the table. I don't care if it's the Green Party. I don't care if it's the Bernie Party. I don't care if it's the Libertarian Party. I I just, we need to fracture the two-party system. And right now, the Libertarians are far and above the most poised to do it. Green Party, look, you guys are great. Jill Stein, wonderful lady, not a political reality right now. So come on over, help us drive a wedge into the two-party system with the libertarians. Just help us get that job done, because if we can get that done, it will pave the way for other parties to come to the table in the next election. It will be a proof of concept to people all around the country at local, state, and national levels of government that third parties can run, can
can be successful, even if Gary Johnson doesn't win, I think it is vital to the future of the Republic that he has a really, really strong run and that he comes in second place. You know, like I think a second place for him would be powerful for America. I think it'd bless this country. So what do you say to that 29-year-old to 41-year-old man that doesn't know who Gary Johnson is, that's never voted, that yeah. has no interest in politics because he feels that the system's rigged right. and that he'll never get that freedom in his lifetime? Well, um, if you're not going to vote, would you consider donating your vote to Worthy Cause? <laughs> They're not Republicans, sir. <laughs> okay, so you are voting. You're just being a piece of shit about it. <laughs> no, but I, you know? in truth, I, I'm curious to what do you say to that person that doesn't vote? Because I don't vote, you know, and I have other reasons why I don't vote. Right. Mostly my job, but yeah. most of my friends have never voted. Like, sure. Well, I'd first ask why not, mm-hmm. you know, and, and let's talk about that. Um, but I would, I would just would. I want to invite you guys that haven't voted and haven't been involved. Let's back up one step. Let's not worry about November right now. The next time you're on the internet, like in 10 minutes and you're taking an internet poll or the next time you get a phone survey or something about presidential candidates, just in the name of good television, just say Gary Johnson. Okay. I don't care who you actually think you're going to vote for, but just say Gary Johnson, because if Gary Johnson can poll at 15% nationally in in the polls, the presidential debate commission will include him in the debates, and then we'll get Clinton, Johnson, and Trump on stage. Tell, Which, wouldn't that be fucking brilliant yeah, to watch? The thing I sit here, I'm like, I've never been polled. I've, who's getting polled out there? Like, right. and there's people who probably want to, you know, yeah, be able to yeah. get their voice out there so they right. could give him an opportunity. Yeah. And it's like, how do you get asked? You know, that's yeah, man. yeah. I've, I've never received a phone poll either but uh, they're out there so i just want to put it out there that it, it, right now the, the name of the game is just just answer gary johnson in surveys right now just do that like it's non-committal you're not voting just answer it in the name of good television i mean that would be incredible to see him on stage between the two um, i've met gary johnson i've hung out with him a bit he is a radically different person than than trump or clinton what were your thoughts on the bernie sanders movement in the democratic mm. party um, you know, it's interesting when I, there's a website you can go to called isidewith.com. It's basically just a little thing. You go and answer questions about your views on things. And then it'll say, well, based on your answers, this is who you align with politically. You know, when I do that, I come up, my first match is Gary Johnson and then Bernie Sanders. I match with him just a few percentage points below Gary. So I, you know, I will tell you, I liked a lot of, um, what Bernie was doing and what he had to say. I, I think some of his policies were um, well-intentioned, but misguided and would um, not end well. But I believe that Bernie Sanders, uh, well, no, I don't even believe it. The proof is in his voting record and in his career. He's a man of integrity. You know, he says what he means. He means what he says. He, he, he walks the walk. Whether you agree with his walk or not is another conversation, but you can trust the guy when he says something. And, and, and I appreciate that. I'd rather have a president that I can trust, but don't agree with all the time than somebody that I know is just a people pleaser and will just say whatever they need to say to get elected, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so um, I, I think that Bernie also did some really, really important work in showing that, look, even though he was running as a Democrat, I don't even consider him a Democrat. Bernie doesn't consider himself to be a Democrat. He's very, in, very much an independent, you know? And, and, and the Bernie movement was proof that there is a viable 
actionable contingent of people out there that want something different, that are sick of the establishment. And so I'm grateful for everything Bernie Sanders did. I think he really, I think he served America well during these past several months in proving and demonstrating that there, there's, there are passionate people out there that are sick of business as usual and are ready for something new. Do you get that joy or relief a little bit from Donald Trump too, in that he's financed his own campaign he is completely free of a lot of the senators and congressmen yeah. who put GOPs in position of power. Uh, th- th- so that's a thing. Because um, there is a fairly radical thing that he's doing. Yeah. You know? um, it, it's it's radical. And also, here's the thing about Donald Trump. I, I hope people will recognize. You know, Donald Trump told us who he was years ago. And he's been telling us who he is all along the way. He's the guy that wrote that's the book, The Art of the Deal. Yeah. He's a salesman. Yeah. And what do salesmen do? They look at the marketplace. They they say, all right, there's the marketplace. There's an unmet need for this sort of widget. I think I could probably build that widget and share it and sell it to them. So I'm going to. That's what he's done. Look, I don't I don't think Donald Trump is any more racist than the average American. You know, I mean, Donald Trump is friends with the Clintons. You know, I mean, they go back a long ways. He, he, look, mm. all this crooked so Hillary weird. stuff. It's this is theater, man. Yeah. Like the Clint, yeah. Clintons and Trumps are friends. Mm. Yeah, like, you have uh, pictures of them totally. at his wedding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This it, it is would, theater. He's just Donald Trump is a salesman, and we need to recognize that. I, he he's he's looked at the American public and said, if I say these things and act this way, a big piece of the pie will resonate with that. So I'm going to deliver on that, and that's what he's been doing. Um, and he's a master of the media. Like he's figured out he can say whatever the hell he wants. And the more the better. Because what do we do in the media? Oh, my God, I got to retweet what Donald said. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that guy gets more free media than, I don't know, like the... Amy like, Schumer. Then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, uh, he, he's brilliant at that. And um, it's such an indictment of the American public, too. And I almost wonder, too, with some of the stuff he said, if he's in, enlightened or brought up. Because, I mean, a lot of people, were got, they got mad at him about not denouncing the, the KKK's endorsement. Right. And it's like there are some people who see him uh, and think, oh, wow, he, he, he aligns himself with our beliefs in this and this and mm-hmm. this. And it's, an, it's awakened some, some of those parties out uh-huh. there, some, like the KKK <laughs> and stuff. Right. So yeah. that's one thing that a lot of people have been worried about, yeah. though, too. So, I mean, what do you think about that, though? I, I think if Donald Trump gets into office, he's going to pull right back to where he was, which is a pretty moderate person. Oh, sure. I don't think Trump's not going to change. He'll be who he always was, which is a, a moderate, a politically moderate businessman with a semi- with kind of a bad track Making record. shitty golf courses. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I think, I mean, look, Donald Trump will be just like every other presidential candidate, not fulfilling all the empty promises they made on the campaign trail. It's too big why a system. Would, why would he be any different? You know? Like, it's just business as usual, you guys. So... Is your show daily? Is it weekly? Bi-monthly? Oh, uh, yeah. So if, if you want to check out what I do, the probably the best thing to do, I have a, a couple projects. I, I uh, co-host a, a, a kind of a libertarian-ish comedy show on KTOK 630 Monday and Tuesday night for those of you in the Salt Lake area. And I also do some comedy stuff with Alt-1019 as the cross-dressing Mormon anarchist. But <laughs> On the morning show. On their morning show. With Fuka yeah, Michelle. Yeah. Yeah. I love those guys. And um, 
But the, the best thing really is just to check out my podcast, uh, The Paul DeWayne Show. It's on iTunes, Google Play, all those things. Or you can just follow me, uh, go to my website. All the links are there at pauldewayne.net. That's P-A-U-L-D-U-A-N-E.net. And uh, that, that's the epicenter for everything. Awesome, Paul. So as we as we wrap this up, I just have one last question. Yeah. For all those people out there who, who have a message and they want to get it out there, um, is there anything that you know now that you wish you had known starting out? <laughs> uh, we're gonna wrap up with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, geez. Um, yeah. I will say this: one of the biggest things I've learned is um, that the world is full of teachers, and they will show up in your life the minute you think you have something to say. The minute you think you know who you are and what your message is. And, and you want to share it. My experience has been, anyway, maybe you guys can resonate with this. I don't know. But my experience has been, if you, if you feel like you have a thing, you're calling, um, and when you start to assert that in the world, there will be people or things or influences that will show up and try to, uh, and will challenge that and will invite you to be a little different, invite you to change, invite you to swing this way, invite you to swing that way, invite you to, you know, all, all these things. And there's nothing more important than being really, really sure of who you are and what your, your mission is and, and staying true to that. And um, so there's a fine line between being willing to change and learn and also remaining committed to who you are as a human being. And, and I, I think that um, that's the thing I would just invite people to pay very close attention to that fine line between learning experiences that legitimately invite you to level up and be a better version of yourself and those experiences that uh, may detract you from who you, you really are. That, that's, I, I know it may be kind of a fuzzy answer, but uh, that's, I think, one of the most important things I've come across in, in my journey of, of creating my, my show and the content and trying to, trying to put stuff out there that helps people, you know? So um, here again, the importance, like we are talking about earlier in the show, of being going by yourself, go to your mountain, go into your cave, go into the, the desert, go fast for 40 days, detach yourself from the egos and the physical presence of other people and get really clear about who you are between you, you and your higher self, God, whatever name you want to give it. So wait a minute. You're asking this room with Johnny McKeon and Wayne Thompson Jr. <laughs> to drop their egos. <laughs> no. Good luck with that. No, no, no. <laughs> Huge ego. Yeah, rock that ego. Honor it, man. Like, rock, rock that wow. ego. Don't let anybody else tamper with it. Just make it the best you can. Just yeah, like make it, let it shine, man. Let it shine. Do do that. Authenticity yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. Huh? Yep. Yeah. Because when you do that, when you are really authentic in a in a, a pure way, you give other people permission to also be authentic. Because people are watching you. Well, I like it, sir, and thank you very much for joining us. We Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Thanks you. for having me, not yes. us. <laughs> <laughs> me, me and the voices in my head. Yeah, yeah I feel you. Just make room for something better. Something better for both of us, you know. And I'm open to what's better. Can't hold you down It's only wrong
how you feel. Yeah.